0: Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you. All right. So before we begin our message this morning, I want to share an announcement about announcements. Uh, And I've been wrestling with this for quite a while now um, because our, our desire, our heart is to build a spirit with the spirit during our worship time and even at the end of the service and I feel like when I come out between our worship time and the time that I speak that I'm literally like throwing water on what's just happened what's just taken place and I don't want to do that anymore and then at the end of the service same thing it's like God is moving he's working and then we do announcements so we're going to we're going to change things and we're going to sort of at this point I want to create a new culture So I'm not going to, you know, spring this on you quickly. I'm going to give it some time, okay, to get used to. So we'll probably be sharing a few announcements, again, after worship through Easter. But probably after Easter, you won't be hearing announcements from the stage anymore. Uh, A couple things. We're redesigning our website. We are redesigning our bulletin. And we're going to try to create a culture where we're driving you to our bulletin and to our website so that you can keep up with what's going on and not miss what's going on, but not kill the spirit and quench the spirit on Sundays as far as trying to get announcements in, you know, uh, during, during the service. So uh, just wanted to let you know about that. But speaking of announcements, uh, we will be having a, a video promoting our men's retreat coming up uh, at the end of the service. And I just wanted to remind you all that three weeks from today, we celebrate our seventh anniversary as a church. And uh, yeah, the first Sunday in April, seven years ago, actually it was on Easter Sunday that year, we started the Oasis Church. And uh, I look out today and I realize we've probably got 50 or so of our normal people that would be here, but because of spring break, they're all gone. Um... But we'll have them back in the next couple weeks. I know that many people, you know, our attendance is affected during spring break as well as fall break. But anyway, don't forget that that Sunday, along with celebrating our seventh anniversary, we're having a church potluck uh, over in the cafeteria where we have our Wednesday night Bible study. So we would love to have you stay for that. It's a great way that we have developed through the years to get to know people, to build relationships, to build friendships, to be able to hang out with each other and get to know each other on a little bit of a deeper level than just coming in on Sunday, you know, and then leaving type of thing. So we encourage you to be a part of that celebration on that first Sunday of April. And then, of course, two weeks after that is Easter and Then we've got May coming with groundbreaking, and I loved, loved all the people that were able to join us over on the land last week and, you know, put their feet on that piece of property and pray over it and whatever. Just a very special time, and and God is just blessing our church in so many ways, and we we just thank Him for it. Mark chapter 11 this morning. We're continuing a series through the Gospel of Mark. And we want to look at the first 26 verses of Mark chapter 11 this morning. And as I was studying this passage and meditating on this passage in the last few months, few weeks, one of the things that became apparent to me is this passage is is a great illustration of what we teach here at the Oasis, which is this that salvation is not the end but a beginning. That God not only calls us into a relationship with himself, he calls us into fellowship with himself. That he's not just calling us to believe in him, but to follow him. To become faithful followers or disciples of him. In fact, that falls in line with the purpose of the book of Mark. Mark wrote this book to evoke from the reader a lasting response, and that's key. A lasting response in word and deed to the true identity of Jesus Christ. And so throughout the Gospel of Mark, we are seeing Mark uh, reveal to us the true identity of Jesus and calling us as followers uh, to believe in Jesus and to follow him. Well, when you come to Mark chapter 11 this morning, there's a lot going on here. And we could have went in several different directions But God led me to talk about fruitfulness this morning. A follower's fruitfulness. Jesus Christ in this part of the gospel, in his life, was, I believe, looking for fruit amongst his people. And this is not something new. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, They were depicted as a vineyard. And God even said through the prophet Isaiah, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 5, God says, I've done everything to make you fruitful. I have blessed you in such a way that I, God, am now looking for you to bear fruit as a nation. But his message through the prophet Isaiah to that nation was, I don't see any fruit. Or what fruit I do see, it's rotten fruit, it's not good fruit. See, God expects to see fruit from His people. Those who He has blessed in such a great way. And that was true with Israel in the Old Testament. And that is true with God's people today in the New Testament. And was even true during Jesus' lifetime while He was here. Those He touched... Through the ministry of John the Baptist, all the way through his three-year ministry, all the things that they saw, all the experience, everything, should have been yielding some type of fruit. So we're going to talk about that this morning. A follower's fruitfulness. Now when you come to chapter 11, the first 11 verses, a lot of us focus on this whole, what, what is called the triumphal entry of Jesus where he gets on the colt that's never been ridden, and he rides into Jerusalem and all of that. And that's a great picture, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But here's something that I want you to notice that a lot of times we don't notice in this passage or in this story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem that sort of starts the last week of his life, if you will, on earth before the crucifixion. And that is the Bible says that after all of these people, you know, waving their palm branches and and placing their garments in front and all of that and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That when Jesus enters Jerusalem in verse 11, it says he went to the temple and notice these next few words. And after looking around at everything, he goes back out to Bethany. Now, Bethany was that little town that Mary and Martha and Lazarus was from. And it was only a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. So it wasn't that far. But what I want us to see is when Jesus got into Jerusalem, he went right to the temple and he was carefully looking around. Literally in the original, he was searching for something. I believe that he was searching for fruit. I mean, Jesus even told his followers, you will recognize people by their fruit. And Jesus even in John 15 said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that remains. John chapter 15, verse 16. See again. God expects that when he blesses his people, that there should be some kind of fruit that is evident there. Some kind of visible, tangible markers, if you will, and signs that God is there and that he's working and that he's moving. There's something going on there. And a lot of times we focus, even as Christians, on the type of fruit. I don't want you to do that this morning. Because what I want us to see this morning is the fruit will come naturally. The fruit in our lives spiritually will come organically if we just stay attached to Jesus Christ. I won't have to worry about it. Am I being fruit? All I have to be concerned about and focused on is am I attached and connected at all times to Jesus Christ? Because fruit can really be defined as everything in my life that is done in true partnership with God, yielding what is eternal. And Jesus even said back again in John 15, that just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you and I bear fruit unless we remain in him. So it's all about connecting ourselves and keeping connected to the life-giving vine. So when Jesus goes into Jerusalem that day, and at the end of the day, goes into the temple area and looks around, then that evening, the Bible says it's very late, so he goes back out to Bethany to spend the night with his friends before he comes back into Jerusalem on the next day. Now notice verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. That next day as they went out from Bethany... He was hungry. And after noticing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to see if he could find any fruit on it. Question mark. I want you to note today in your mind and maybe even in your Bible, those four words, any fruit on it. Question mark. Jesus was looking for fruit on the fig tree. Why? Because it had leaves. But notice the Bible says, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, a couple things. First of all, it's not like Jesus was looking for something that he shouldn't have been looking for. Yes, this was not the season for a bumper crop of figs. But if there were leaves, there should have been something, even early figs, if you will. Or either that, or there shouldn't have been leaves. In other words, the sign of leaves meant there should have been some kind of fruit. And so what Jesus obviously is upset about is that this is illustrative of of many people's lives, even at this point, the nation of Israel. They were were a nation that had a lot of promise, but no real reality. There was pretense there of something, but there was really nothing of substance underneath it all. And so that's why the Bible says in verse 14 that he said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. I was looking for fruit. I found none. And again, don't miss the context that this was in. First of all, let's go back now to those first 11 verses. Where in a sense you could say, Jesus had this really nice ticker tape prayed. As finally he presents himself to his people as the Messiah. Because you remember throughout our study of Mark, there were many times where Jesus would even do a miracle and say, don't tell anybody about it and all of this. Because he was trying to tamp down this whole hysteria of trying to make him some, you know, kind of political rival to the Roman Empire and all of this. And that was obviously not in the plan of God. But now in this last week of Jesus' life, he very clearly presents himself as the Messiah. And everything that he does in the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 11 shows and proves that once again in his true identity, he is in absolute control of everything. He knows exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. He tells his two disciples, go, this is where you'll find this cult. It's never been written. I mean, again, it shows that he's not somebody who's getting his life yanked from him. He is the son of God who is going to lay down his life for his sheep. And he's in complete control of everything. He knows exactly where everything is at. Even though, again, it's going to look especially in a few days like God's not on the throne, God's not in control, everything's going wrong, where's God? Jesus is trying to assure his people, again, we walk not by sight, but by faith, and I'm in control of everything that's going on. But here's the deal with the people who, in a sense, celebrate him that day. Yes. They do praise him and they worship him and they celebrate his entrance into Jerusalem. There's a lot of enthusiasm. There's a lot of excitement. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible tells us in Colossians 3.23 that everything that we do as a follower of Jesus Christ should be done with enthusiasm. There should be that in our lives. But let's make sure that all of our excitement and all of our enthusiasm has some basis or substance to it, it, has a foundation to it. Because let's not forget something about these very fickle people that we're introduced to here in Matthew chapter 11. These very same people that a few days here are saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, are some of the very same people that less than a week later, when Jesus refuses to become what their flesh wants him to be, now are crying in the presence of Pilate, away with him, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar. Well, that's not fruitfulness. That's fickleness. That's being blown around by, you know, every wind. That's being caught up in a moment. But that's not fruit. Because remember, Jesus calls us to be fruitful, and it's fruit that remains. It's fruit that lasts. And again, fruit can be defined as everything that you and I do in true partnership with God that yields something eternal, not something short-lived. Now, some may say, well, at least they praised him for a day before they killed him. Yeah, but that's not what God's looking for. And even today, Even sometimes in our churches and amongst God's people, there can be a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of excitement and a lot of this and that going on. But is there real fruit from all of that activity? You see, that's what we need to make sure of because Jesus isn't impressed. By all the excitement and all the enthusiasm, if there's really no foundation or substance to it. Remember, then he comes to the fig tree, has leaves, looking for fruit, but can't find any. It's nothing but leaves. A lot of promise, but no follow through, no carry through. And we have to be careful as followers of Jesus Christ that we don't get sort of trapped into living that way. Where we make a lot of promises, a lot of, lot of you know, stuff that, that we talk to talk type of thing, but are we really backing it up? Are we, really, are we really following through and carrying through to the point where there's real fruit that's coming from our lives and even from the life of our corporate body here, the oasis? That's what Jesus is looking for. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. Well, with that in mind, notice then next, the Bible says in verse 12, he comes into Jerusalem and he goes to the temple again. The same area that he, the night before, came into Jerusalem and was looking around, carefully searching and seeing what was going on there. And you know the story. This is where Jesus drives out the money changers and, and, and those that are selling the sacrifices in the temple area. And he's angry. He's righteously angry. He says, this is not what is supposed to be taking place in my house. My house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, Jesus says. This is not the intent of God here. So once again, just like with the parade that we had the day before with Jesus, is there activity going on here? Absolutely. In fact, there's a lot going on in the temple. There's a buzz. I mean, there's noise. There's, there's bustle and hustle and everybody's moving everywhere. And especially at this time of the year, this was Passover, that meant that Jerusalem was flooded by pilgrims from all over the area. They say that Jerusalem probably tripled or quadrupled in in population during this time. It went from maybe a city of like 30,000 to, oh, well over 100,000, if not 150,000 people. So you can imagine what the temple area was like all these people flooded into jerusalem now coming with their sacrifices all this activity but again jesus isn't impressed why because even though there was all this going on god wasn't in it god wasn't there and what really angered jesus was this was taking place in the courts of the gentiles what's that mean It simply was a place in the temple complex area where Gentiles could come and they could pray and they could connect with God and they could attach themselves and they could encounter and experience God. But because of all these sellers and merchandisers and extortioners and exploiters, they were being pushed out and they were being prevented from coming and encountering the living God. And Jesus said, that is not how this was supposed to go down. Now listen, here's something that I think we need to also say today, though, too, because so many people come to this passage and go, well, that means that we should never exchange money in the house of God, you know? No, I don't believe that. There's something much deeper going on here, and I don't want to take a lot of time, but I'm just going to hit it briefly because I think it's important for us to have this understanding. God was not against the selling of sacrificial animals in the temple area. I mean, it, it made it so much easier for people that were traveling miles and miles so that they didn't have to gather their sacrifices that they were going to you know, sacrifice in Jerusalem and have to carry them hundreds of miles... As a burden to get there. It was much more convenient and and much easier for them that once they got to Jerusalem, they could go to the temple area and they could purchase those sacrifices. The problem was, like even still to this day, you, you hear the phrase, well, they got them over a barrel, or they're between a rock and a hard place. So what people were doing was taking advantage of this situation. And knowing that once these people got there from so far away, guess what? We're the only game in town. We're the only place that they can buy sacrifices from. So instead of offering a fair price for the sacrifices, guess what they did? They jacked up the price to an exorbitant amount. Because they knew if these people wanted to be good Jews, good followers of God, they were going to purchase these sacrifices no matter what they cost. So they were padding their pockets greatly by raising the price because they knew they had these people over a barrel. That was the first phase of it. The second phase was that throughout the leadership of Israel, they figured out, here's another way we can make even more money. That as these people come from all these different regions, we're not going to accept their uh, monetary, uh, the way they have their money. We're going to have a special temple money so that when they get here, they're going to have to exchange their coin for our temple coin. That's the only way, that's the only kind of recognized coin that will be here in the temple area. So that's why they call, they're called the money exchanger. Well, guess what they did? They drove the exchange rate up so high that it cost people, again, so much more than it should have To exchange their currency for the temple currency. That wasn't something that God was ever in. And so all of these things just angered Jesus. Again, activity, oh my goodness. There was no place in Jerusalem that had more activity going on. More of a buzz, more noise, more people moving around than the temple. But God wasn't in it. God wasn't in any of it. And so again, we have to be careful as God's people, as church people, as a church, that we don't get caught up like many do throughout history, where it's all about moving here and there and running here and there and all of this activity all the time and all this noise and all these different things. But we have to always then check and go, but is God really in all this? Can people see God in this? Is God being glorified in all this? Or is this just a bunch of activity? Is this just a bunch of massive amounts of people moving around? And there's a bunch of noise. And there's all this stuff going on. But is God really in all of it? And can we really see clearly God in it? This was the problem that Jesus had with what was going on in the temple area. Now obviously... The leadership of Israel did not take kindly to what Jesus did. So the Bible says that after he comes in and basically turns the tables upside down on everybody, that the Bible says that the chief priests in verse 18 began to plot along with others how they could assassinate Jesus. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed by his teaching. And then the Bible says, when evening came, verse 19, that Jesus and his disciples went back out of the city, and I believe that they went back to Bethany, which is where they were probably staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now don't miss this last few verses, and then we're going to take off from here and look at a couple other passages of scripture that I think tie in with what we see here in this passage. In the morning they once again passed by. They now were coming back into Jerusalem the next day. And they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And so Peter remembered and said to him, "Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered." Well, let me say this. That's exactly what happens to our life and the life of any local church whenever we do not stay attached to our life-giving vine, Jesus Christ. When, when you and I fail to keep close connection to Jesus Christ, our life will begin to wither and dry up. That's why so many Christians today are struggling. I believe that they are, many of them are true believers. But they're not in a place where they're being encouraged to keep in close connection with Jesus, their life-giving vine. They're getting caught up in all the activity and all the excitement and all this and that, but there's no real deep abiding fruit that's coming from all of that. And they're drying up. They're withering. And then Jesus says this, Which may seem a little out of place, but it's absolutely not. It's exactly what needed to be said. He said to his followers, have faith in God. Why? Because faith is, that's what connects us to God. It is faith that attaches us to our life-giving vine." That's why the author of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because you and I can never be attached to God or be in connection with God apart from faith. If I don't believe in him and what he has revealed, what he has said in his word, how can I be connected to God in any way? If I do not trust him and his word, if I do not place confidence in him and his word, how can I be connected to God? And there are so many Christians and that obviously that's the way we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's by faith. There had to come a point in our life where we recognize, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from a holy God. The only answer, the only, the only solution is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ in my place. God, I believe. I trust in His sacrifice for me i place my confidence not in anything that i have done or can do but in what jesus has done that's how you and i become a christian in the first place the problem is and the challenge is for many of us as followers of jesus christ is that initial faith and trust and confidence that we place in god to become connected to him initially we don't keep up with throughout our life. And it's great that we've come into a relationship with him. But again, as I said at the very beginning, God calls us not just to have a relationship with him, but to have fellowship with him. He calls us not just to believe in him, but to follow him and become a disciple. Is that not what the great commission is in Matthew 28? Go into all the world and make disciples, not make believers, not bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that's it. And that's where many churches focus today. And yet the Bible clearly says, then you're not really listening to what God said. God didn't say, go into all the world and make believers. He said, go into the world and make disciples. Why the distinction? Because God knows I can enter into a relationship with Him. And even though I have a relationship with God, I can still live a life that is fruitless and and withers up. Because I still have to work at staying connected and attached to my life-giving vine, the source of everything in my life every day, every week, every month, every year. Again, this again plays into why... We exhort all of us that the Bible teaches if I'm not moving forward in my relationship with God, I'm automatically moving backward. If I'm not progressing, I'm regressing. There is no such thing in the Bible as a Christian getting to a certain place with God and plateauing and just sort of staying there and remaining stagnant. There's no such thing. You can't find it. Either people are moving closer to God or we're drifting further away. That's it. That's the only two choices we have. And that's why Jesus calls us to make disciples. That's why he says... That just as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So over and over again in John 15, that great passage where Jesus is teaching his followers, he says, abide in me, remain in me, stay in me, continue in me. Don't ever live your life apart from me, even if you have me in your life. Because without that, we will not bear fruit. Much fruit, fruit that remains, and our life will begin to wither just like the fig tree. Have faith in God. That's where it starts. And so here today, maybe God is speaking to someone here today. I think he's probably speaking to all of us in some way because all of us probably have right now an area in our life or something in our life where we truly need to trust God in. We need to believe in Him. We need to place our confidence in Him. And He's calling us to do that. Just as Jesus said, Have faith in God. And here's why this was so important, especially at this time. Let's not forget that a couple days later, these same followers are going to see Jesus tortured and beaten and flogged and have a crown of thorns placed upon His head and nailed to a cross. And they're going to think as if All is lost. Why? Because they're walking by sight, by what they can see, not by what God has said. Because the very same Jesus who told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders of Israel. Uh, I'm I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead three days later. They didn't hear that, or they didn't want to hear that, or they, they didn't get it. They didn't grasp it. They didn't place their faith in his prediction of resurrection. That all was not lost and his death was not the end. They didn't get it because they lacked faith. They lacked faith. So Jesus here is calling his followers today to faith. Why? Because faith is the foundation of fruitfulness. If you and I do not believe, trust, and place our confidence in the word of God and what God has said... We won't be fruitful. We won't be fruitful. That's where it starts. But that's not where it ends, in a sense. There are many ways the scriptures tell us that we can also have our faith strengthened and encouraged. Now, one of the ways we find right here in this passage, one of the ways that you and I can stay connected to Jesus Christ every moment, every day, stay attached to Jesus, our life-giving vine, so that we can be more fruitful or fruitful, is prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then he even goes down after he talks about having faith in God and says, and when you pray, believe when you pray. Prayer is always attached to fruitfulness in the Bible and always attached to faith. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus said, I want to tell you this parable. And I'm telling you this parable so that all men will always choose to pray rather than to give up, to faint, to lose heart or get discouraged. Luke 1. And then at the end of that passage in verse 8, Jesus says this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes back to earth, will he find faith on the earth? Notice that Jesus attaches faith to prayer. And he's saying, you want to be fruitful? Pray. How do you stay attached to me every day? How do you stay connected to me? Through prayer. It's why Paul said we should pray without ceasing. It should be constant communication between us and God at all times so that we stay connected to our life-giving vine. That's how we do it. Through prayer. And yet so many Christians struggle with lack of prayer in their life or prayerlessness and then wonder, why is my life not more fruitful? Why do I not see more evidence of God in my life? Well, one of the areas may be we need to focus on prayer. Spending time with God in prayer. And we're certainly starting and trying to encourage prayer here at the Oasis more. And that's great. Because that's one way that you and I can always strengthen and encourage our faith is through prayer. But it's not the only one. Leave the Gospel of Mark and go back with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, to Psalm chapter 1. And for those of you that know this passage, you know where I'm going with this one. That beyond prayer, another way that you and I can encourage and strengthen our faith is through being people of the Word of God. People of the Word of God. Notice it says in Psalm 1, How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, stand in the pathway with sinners, sit in the assembly of the scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. Therefore, notice what it says in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time and never... Does its leaves fall off? He succeeds in everything he attempts. And then beginning in verse 4, he contrasts that with the wicked. Very, at the very start of this great book of Psalms, the largest book in the Bible, David the psalmist says, here's how you and I can be a fruitful tree, planted By obeying the Lord's commands, by meditating on the Lord's commands, by loving the word of God, by studying the word of God, by reading it, memorizing it, meditating it, it, letting it absorb into our very being, practicing it, applying it, letting it transform our life. This is how you and I stay connected to God. This is how we attach ourselves to the Lord always. Not only through prayer, conversing with God, but through His Word. And notice again how He connects fruitfulness as a result of this. Then they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So leaves will never fall off. Whatever we do will prosper and succeed. I don't know about you, but I want to be that person. I want to be that. Not just for myself, but for others. Because notice, a tree that's planted like that, not only bears fruit for itself, but gives fruit to others and gives shade to others. And there's so much benefit and blessing to others when you and I are willing to let God make us a tree rather than a little bush. Then go over to Psalm 92. There's another way that you and I can encourage and strengthen our faith, staying attached and connected to Jesus in a close way. And That's by being connected and planted in his house. Now, obviously, as a pastor of a local church, I love this. I wish more Christians got this. Because again, I think so many Christians today think, I don't need relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't need to be faithful to a local church. Can I tell you, because last week I talked to you about, I'm I'm praying for revival. And and one of the aspects of that is I'm praying, at least for the Oasis, I'll start there. That God will do such a work in and through this church that people won't want to miss because they won't want to miss what God's doing. I would love for it to get to that point. Like I can't I can't miss because I'm gonna miss something that God's doing if I miss. Now again, I, I realize we all need vacations, we all need time away. Obviously Lisa and I are gonna take in a couple weeks we're gonna take some time off too. We all need to do that. But there's also that idea of faithfulness and consistency to God's house. And that's how you and I stay connected and attached to God. Notice what it says in Psalm 92, verse 12. The godly grow like a palm tree. We have a lot of those around here. The date palm. Which, by the way, one of the cool things about being a date palm is date palms can thrive even in pretty adverse circumstances. Dry, dusty, and yet they can thrive. And that's the way God wants to make his people. That we don't have to have the most perfect environment around us all the time to thrive as long as we are connected to the one that we have to stay connected to, which is Jesus Christ, our life-giving vine. In fact, even Paul said this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I fear that just like the serpent or Satan deceived Eve, that your minds may be led astray from that sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. In the original language, in the Greek language, those words speak about a single thread of our life. And that the single thread of our life, more than anything else, needs to be attached and remain attached to Jesus Christ. That's it. If we don't have any other thread attached anywhere else or to anyone else, we'll be okay as long as we have that single thread always attached to Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. And if we have Jesus, we don't really need anyone or anything else. We have everything we need in Jesus. Do you believe that today? The godly grow like a palm tree. They grow high like a cedar in Lebanon. Notice, planted in the Lord's house, they grow in the courts of our God. Many Christians today do not allow themselves to ever be planted by God in His house with His people. They bear fruit. I love this too, because I'm getting there. They bear fruit even when they're old. And can I say this too? That It's so frustrating to see so many older saints of God that when they get to a certain age, they, they just retire from spiritual life like they've retired from physical life. And they just sort of slide for heaven the last... 5 10 15 years of their life I think God didn't God didn't call us to that God said if you're a, a godly palm tree you'll be fruitful even up to the very day you die you'll be bearing fruit you will be spiritually beneficial and profitable to all those around in fact as a Christian we should be the most beneficial to people by that time in our life because we've had a whole lifetime of spiritual growth and things that we can give to others when we're older so i love that i've told you the story before but i'll just mention it real quick again that story of that gal in dallas texas years ago that died a hundred years of age they found her at her desk and she was writing out her spiritual goals for the next 10 years As I've said before, that's dying with your boots on. That's the way I want to go. They bear fruit even when they're old. They are filled with vitality and many leaves. Prayer, the Word of God, and allowing God to plant us in His house with His people will encourage us and strengthen our faith and keep us connected and attached to Jesus our life-giving vine so that we can continue to be fruitful one more this morning if you'll turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 13 the final one this morning is worship praise thanksgiving gratitude counting our blessings Hebrews 13:15 and the very first two words of this verse are very vital cuz it says through him. meaning the only way this is going to be my lifestyle, the only way this is going to be the norm in my life going to be the pattern in my life is through him. If I do not stay attached, connected to Jesus all at all times, remain in him, abide in him, then this will not be present in my life at all times. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips acknowledging His name. Thankful all the time. Counting my blessings every day. Instead of bemoaning what I don't have or haven't received from God, I am spending so much time thanking God for the things that I do have. I am continually praising him. I'm continually in an attitude of worship. My heart is always yearning and longing to thank him and praise him and worship him and sing to him and sing out to him and speak of him and shout of him throughout my day. One of the reasons why the Bible says that God inhabits the praise of His people is that's how you and I stay connected and close to Him. You and I will find out the more we praise and worship God, the more thankful we are to God for the things that He's blessed us with, the closer we will be and the closer we will become. And we will find that through our worship, through allowing God to plant us in His house, through our relationship with the Word of God and prayer, that our faith will continue to be encouraged and grow stronger so that we continue to stay attached and connected in a very close and vital way to Jesus Christ, our life-giving vine. And by that, we will be fruitful. Again, you and I as Christians don't have to worry about, well, am I being fruitful or not? No. What kind of fruit am I bearing? No. All we have to focus on, as Jesus said, is just stay Connected to me and you'll be fruitful. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you and I be fruitful unless we remain in him. Let me just real quick take our minds back to that passage in Mark where Jesus came out of Bethany that morning Was headed towards Jerusalem in the temple. Was hungry. Saw that fig tree. Wow, it has leaves on it. So maybe there'll be something there for me to eat. But there was nothing but leaves. Promise. But no follow through or carry through. Pretense. But no reality, no substance. I don't want Jesus to look at the Oasis Church that way. I want him to look at us as a fruitful community of believers. That we are a fruitful church. And that we're going to do everything we can to stay connected to our life-giving vine, Jesus Christ. So that we can bear more fruit and much fruit. So that he can be more glorified. And I want that to be true of each of our lives as well. Because the only way we'll be a fruitful community of believers is when you and I commit ourselves to being a fruitful individual believer. Having faith in God. Allowing our faith to be strengthened through prayer, through the Word, through God's house, and through worship. Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, I pray this morning that as we end our time here, In this auditorium that we have marked off as your your place, your, your sacred space today. That we would be willing to declare back to you and out to you. That that's what we want more than anything else. We want to stay attached to you, Jesus. We want to stay connected to you, Jesus, in a very close and intimate way. We don't want to ever follow you at a distance. We want to follow you up close. We want to to follow you right in the dust that you're kicking up. God, I believe that as a church and as individuals, you're calling us right now. You're calling us to go higher than we've been with you. You're calling us to go further than we've been with you. You're calling us to go deeper than we've ever been with you. And I pray that we will say yes to that. Yes, God, we want to go further with you. We want to go deeper with you. We want to go higher with you. And may we as individual followers of Jesus Christ echo that very same thing. That God, more than anything else, We need you, and we want you in our life. And we want to remain close to you in the days ahead. May this be our declaration to you, God, this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.